Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest or guests bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guests are Rachel Kempf and Nick Toady. They are the founders of the indie press Die Die Books and the directors of the micro-budget found footage film It Doesn't Get Any Better Than This. Welcome to the show! Thank you! Thank you! <laughs> we're really excited yeah, to chat with you um i found out th- your film through mary beth and uh we both really dug it so if you could let our listeners know a little bit about the film in case they have not heard of it yet sure yeah um so it's a found footage movie uh all three of the main characters uh nick myself and my best friend um we're all playing ourselves we've all known each other since college so we have like 20 years of actual footage of us being idiots together that's just sort of woven into the movie as well. Um, and we put way more of that footage in than, we prob- than was probably wise. Um, the plot is that Nick and I, as indie filmmakers, buy this abandoned duplex to shoot our next horror film in. Um, and as soon as we buy the place, we start seeing like random strangers will just like stop and stare at the building, sometimes for hours. Uh, and things just get like weirder and creepier from there. Um, and it, creepier past the point where like a normal person, normal people would be like, ah, it's scary and like sell the place or leave or call the cops. But we're just so delighted at how terrifying the place is that the scarier it gets, the more we love it. Um, and the whole movie is just Nick, myself and my best friend, like first realizing, okay, our lives have become a horror movie and then just making a series of like increasingly terrible decisions to see how <laughs> scary that movie can get. Um, so, it's yeah. it's so funny because like the thing that I was immediately drawn to is how much of a sense of humor, particularly you, Rachel, have in it. Where like you're just you're laughing it off the entire time, and it's like I'm watching this going, "This is totally me. I this is totally if I it had bought you. like it is you. Oh my god." <laughs> duplex and i moved in there to film a creepy movie and all of a sudden there is a candle in the attic and there's weird shit happening i would be trying to push that envelope so far and mary beth knows this is true and so it just it made me yes. laugh so much because i was like i feel seen Yay! yeah one of my favorite comments that we've gotten from anybody about the movie was uh, our friend oscar basically just said rachel was pissing herself laughing the entire movie and I was like, great. Yeah, perfect. She yeah. is. That was basically, yeah we, yeah, we sort of went into it saying, okay, well, I mean, we're pretty smart in real life, but we thought that's not interesting for a found footage movie. So what's the 
most idiotic version of ourselves <laughs> at any given moment. And what would that person do? And yeah, yeah, so that was pretty much where the plot of the movie came from. Hell yeah. So did you buy, is that duplex that you buy in the movie? You bought, did you buy that in? Okay, we're not, we're not that <laughs> smart. We did actually buy this duplex just to shoot Hell horror yeah. movies in. So yeah, so, so I was, guess, we, yeah. Oh, it was ju- and it was just to shoot horror movies in? Yeah, we yeah. were shooting, well, okay, we bought it to shoot a movie called Homebody, which we're actually shooting next summer, or this coming summer, and we were going to need to fix the place up a lot in order to be able to shoot this next one, and we just said, basically on buying it, we were like, let's make a found footage movie immediately, and we, we basically started shooting it that week. Yeah. Well, and there was so, it was partly because too, we had to fix it up and it was like, this is a bummer for fixing this place up to shoot a horror movie in is just a wasted opportunity because it is so much scarier. It was just filled with trash when we first got it and just this terrifying nightmare of a place, this weird stuff, doors everywhere, (laughs) like chains on the wall. We're just like, what the ever, not chains. Some kind of like weird springs stuff on the wall, oh, like that we're just like, what, what is this place? So we were like, well, wait, why waste this production value? We've just oh, yeah. sh- shoot a movie about us exploring this place, and yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then we basically like made up the movie as we went along. Like we had, we came up with a a basic structure, and we sort of had some rules, but those rules were. Based in, so I have a background in uh, actual documentary filmmaking, and we tried to make, yeah, we tried to make this movie follow those same sorts of rules, because, you know, when you're making a documentary, if you're, if you've learned something as you're going along that changes your story, you adapt what you're doing accordingly. And we did that, the same approach, where we would go in with an idea for shooting, and then maybe something would happen that we didn't quite expect or a performance would kind of be nuanced in a way that was different from what we had originally planned, but in a way that we liked. We would then steer the story of the movie in that direction so that it was always just going for whatever seemed most alive, whatever seemed most interesting to us. And hopefully also, I don't think being scary was ever really our top priority. We knew it was a horror movie, but we... You know, but also it was always just kind of like, what's most interesting? What's most fun for us? And then if it was also scary, we kind of didn't know until we were editing it whether it was actually scary or not. And even then it kind of, we've had some audiences who are like, this scared the shit out of me. You know, uh, we had one viewer, we screened it in Chicago uh, a couple months ago. And there was one viewer who was like, this is the scariest movie I've seen this year. Uh, also one of the scenes in it is exactly like a recurring nightmare that I've had. And yeah, I don't know which scene it is. I have an idea of which one it is, but I didn't get to ask her specifically which one it was, but yeah. So, um, so for some audiences, it really, really, really resonates on a scare level. And, and that's great. Also, even though the whole time we were making it, we were just laughing and we're just like, well, if this is, we know it's going to be a fun movie. If it's also a scary movie, then that's going to be also very great on top of it since it is horror. I don't know, Nick, if I've communicated this to you sufficiently ever, but the whole time I was really rooting for it to be scary. (laughs) I know. 
I know you were always like, I don't, I don't know that this probably isn't going to be scary. Like we're, we're being so ridiculous, but I, well, we were, the other thing too, we were editing, um, like while, like simultaneously while we were shooting. Um, so we found out like, basically there were like four or five scenes in the middle that like I strung together at one point and I was just like, "Ah, I just want to see how these like play together. Um, just to see, because we found out during editing, like, oh, we got to go back and shoot some scenes to make this, like, work. Um, so we yeah. come up with more scenes. Um, but when I first strung together, like, there was a sequence of scenes, like, in the middle. And I, like, ran into, like, the other room and was like, Nick, Nick, our movie is scary. I was watching it. <laughs> I saw, I put the four scenes together and I felt so scared by the end of it. Like, I maybe it's going to be scary. I was so, so delighted when that happened. What a good feeling. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, hell yeah. We got the feeling. We got the yeah. vibes. It's... <laughs> <laughs> but did anything actually spooky happen to you in that set? I, I in the house. I have to know. I have yes. to know. Yes. Yes. So many things. So many things. Yes. Tell me everything right now. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, and also some of it we just started incorporating into the movie because it's like if stuff happens, you just use it. And so, okay. I don't want to. All, all right. I'm try, I'm in my head. I'm going, how much do we want to give away here? But I don't think this really gives anything away. Okay. But at the end of the movie, there's a scene where there's a bunch of junk in the duplex. Uh, you both have seen it, so you will know the scene I'm talking about, like right at the very, towards the very end of the movie. If you pay close attention in that scene, you will notice, if you go back and watch, you'll see there's a crucifix among the various things that are there. That crucifix was actually left in the duplex at some point while we were filming it, by somebody, we have no idea who, we just went in one day and there was a crucifix, a stack of children's books, a an iPhone charger, and a, uh, a USB thumb drive that when I took it home and checked what was on it, it yeah. had the, it had a recording of like, uh, uh, it was like a, a communications class assignment to record a, a like a fake episode of a podcast about a nonprofit organization so just like some completely random thing oh. from some college students but like why was there a crucifix a stack of children's books this like, thumb drive and a phone chart like it not it makes no sense but it was just there one yeah, day and, and a handful of those like the crucifix for sure but even the children's books a little bit and the usb thing all kind of have echoes in the movie nick we come home and nick is like did you do this did you put those and it looked like placed and he was like did you put that there tell me you didn't put that there like i need to know like he really yeah i made her i was like swear on your mom's life like swear to god like i I was like if you're fucking with me i appreciate it but i actually do need to know i need to know that and I, she convinced me that she wasn't, wasn't. So it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I never thought it was you, for the record. But you were so certain it was me. Uh, but yeah, that happened. And then we we okay. We probably this probably wasn't a ghost that we caught on camera. But we cannot say for sure that it wasn't. Okay, we're like filming. I'm going back through like footage that I had like edited, and I can't remember. 
oh, I was like listening. I was doing like sound editing and I'm like listening. And there's a part in the movie where like me and Christian, my friend, are calling for Nick in the duplex. Um, and we're going, Nick, Nick, Nick. And you hear this voice while we're going, like you hear my voice, Christian's voice, and then you hear Nick which is not my voice. It is not Christian's voice and it is not Nick's voice. It doesn't sound like any of us. So the options are either like, there's a ghost and, and that was the voice of the ghost or some rando was walking past the duplex, heard us yelling, Nick, Nick, and decided to get in on the action. <laughs> Or there's wow. there's a third option. It's less fun, but well, but and Nick I'll, had I'll a, explain yeah. the third option, which is that I went back and because I wanted to solve this mystery because and also it's like I don't know maybe this can be worked into the movie and I went back and I'm ninety percent I'm the most skeptical of all the people who made the movie just in general you know I'm the one who's the skeptic and so I wanted to review every frame of footage to see if I could find an explanation yeah. of it. And I did find an explanation for it that as a skeptic, I'm like, this has to be the explanation. So in the exact moment when Rachel and Christian were shouting my name and you hear this other voice shout my name also, I was hiding from Rachel and Christian in a place where I was actually able to film them and they didn't know I was there filming them when it was happening. And that's when you hear this other voice go, Nerd! And so I thought, it must have been me doing it. Because I was already messing with them. You know, I was hiding in a corner, had the camera, and I was going to film their reaction to hearing this different voice. But the th weird thing is, I don't remember doing that. And even weirder, it sounds nothing like me. Even when I try to mimic it, yeah. I, I don't sound like it. Yeah. So the there's still something very odd about this. And yeah, I, even though I'm like, it has to be this explanation, I'm not satisfied by this explanation. And it's it's in the movie. You can hear it real faintly. If you really listen for Nick, uh, you can... <laughs> What is I'm going back and watching tonight yeah. and doing that immediately. I'm yeah, listen like, for the ghost. This is incredible. This movie is haunted for real, everyone. <laughs> we are starting a, I am starting a rumor, and it is a good marketing campaign. Uh, we, can, we can take it further. Well, we think we know the ghost's name also, because oh, shortly yeah. after this, Rachel, well, all through production, Rachel was having nightmares. And one oh, night she... Jesus Christ! <laughs> one, one night Rachel... and the, Okay, so the basic script of Rachel's nightmares from my perspective is Rachel starts having a nightmare, breathing heavily, maybe vocalizing in some way. I wake up. I check to see if she's okay. And then eventually I wake her up gently from her, from her nightmare. That's usually the way that these nightmares go. But um, this night Rachel starts going... Hugh, Hugh, Hugh. And I was like, I think our ghost is named Hugh. And so uh, so we just started referring to him as Hugh. Yeah. And uh, when That's weird amazing. things would happen, we would say, I guess Hugh's here again or something. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, the nightmares were also like, there's a scene in the movie where I'm just talking about how I'm having like nightmares, like increasingly terrifying nightmares. That's real. That's just us talking. 
I really was telling Nick, like, we were just, both of us felt terrible all day long. And I was just, like, telling him about my nightmares. And then he's like, stop. Comes back in with a camera. And I didn't even, <laughs> I kind of knew when he started entering the room, like, ah, he's going to be filming me. But, uh, yeah, so that's just me genuinely vocalizing, we're all going to die on Scary New Year. <laughs> I know it's going to happen. <laughs> You know, we didn't, but it really did feel like to both of us, like something horrible was going to happen and just had like a lot, a lot of anxiety. Um, And weirdly, like when we shot that scene afterwards or not, we didn't think of it as a scene. We're just filming our lives. Yeah. Even though Nick did that afterwards, we're like, well, we'll never use that. (laughs) And then during editing at one point, I was like, wait a second. Don't we have? I wonder if that footage is any good. And then it was like, ah, it's it's kind of creepy. Um, so yeah, that's amazing. Oh, holy cow, that's so cool. But then also, can y'all share like the distribution model that you're doing? Because it's very interesting how you are distributing this movie. I put that in scare quotes for people. Yeah, who well, <laughs> so and this was actually something we decided way early on when we first came up with the idea for the movie we decided we wanted to do this we wanted to make it really really intimate and really personal and also we wanted to include a essentially I, i hesitate to use the term set piece given what it is, but it is a set, it's a micro-budget set piece in the middle of the movie where there's a seance that happens in real time. And Mm -hmm. we knew that in order for this to work, people would have to be really locked into it. And Mm -hmm. so we just decided from the beginning, you know, we're never going to release this online. We're only going to do live screenings of it. And that way there's always going to be, you can more or less guarantee that the audience is in that moment. They're not going to take their phone out and start scrolling and they're not going to pause it or whatever, get up and go do something else. Like while it's happening, you know, they'll actually be there. And that's, that was basically the only way we could ensure that that moment gets a chance of working with people. And it really does seem to work with people. Uh, Not with everybody. It's definitely a divisive moment, but the people that it works for, And what I love about it is that it works for them in different ways and ways that are weird and idiosyncratic, personal for them. Um, And, and some, and people walk away from it with different feelings. Like some people walk away from it saying that was so scary in that scene. And we've had some people say, Oh, I just liked how you could tell that you guys are all really close friends (laughs) because it's a really intimate (laughs) moment too. And I was like, I love that. I love that that's what you walked away from it with. But, uh, but yeah, but it's, it's uh, a moment that we thought only works in that intimate group setting of watching a movie publicly. So that was what we, so yeah, so we just decided we're never going to release it online. Uh, We, will most likely never work with an official distributor of any sort. Although I guess if somebody wanted to do a theater's only distribution run of it, we would talk with that person. But um, thus far, nobody's been knocking down our door to do theater only distribution uh, for it. So, so we've just been booking our own screenings. We do, we've done, yeah, we've, uh, we've been doing festivals. We also have been booking just sort of, 
DIY spaces. We did one screening at, in a guy's driveway. Um, we're doing, uh, we got a university screening coming up this spring. Um, we're going down to Austin in two weeks. We're screening it at a, an improv theater down there. So, um, so yeah, so basically anywhere we can get that people will screen it. If we can, well, I'd be open to letting them screen it even if we weren't present, but we're trying to be there for as many screenings as possible too, which again is because like the movie's very personal. It involves 20 mm-hmm. years of home video, all this stuff. And so it's really meaningful for us to go and engage with people. Also, we try to sell books when we're there. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, because on top of this, you have Die Die Books, which I'm right. sure, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that that's a perfect segue. But before we do segue completely into that, I, I am curious if people are interested in potentially doing a screening, how would they get in touch to do that? Uh, contact us, uh, contact at diediebooks.com is the best way. Okay. But yeah, um, we're we're not that hard to track down if somebody wants to. In fact, that's the way our Chicago screening came about was that um, okay. a guy wanted to see us at the uh, Queer Fear Festival and didn't get to see the screening. And he found our contact on our website and asked if we would ever be coming to Chicago. And I said, sure. And I said, hang on, I'd let me figure, let me figure out the logistics of it. But, you know, then three weeks later or something, we had a screening in Chicago booked and uh, yeah. So uh, all it takes is one person reaching out to us and if we can make it happen, we'll make it happen. But we might've just gotten lucky that time, but yeah, we found a venue. They were willing to do it. Chicago's, seven hours away from us by car so we drove up there we had friends there we stayed with them so yeah it was good hell yeah wow okay so you did mention the die die book so can you tell our listeners a little bit about this this press uh yeah um well so it's the idea is it's kind of like the series if you know um 33 and a third or um boss fight books where it's um sort of every single uh book is by a different author on a different uh, singular work of horror movie. Um, or Sorry, <laughs> every book is uh, by a different author um, on a different horror movie. Um, just one horror movie, not like a, a series or anything. Um, and that's the idea is just to get like a really good deep dive on um, it may be like the author's relationship to it. It may be sort of like research. Um, we've had like uh, the movie Threads, the author was like um, in, a nuclear researcher um, and uh, a nuclear scholar, um, and or sorry, nuclear scholar and activist, <laughs> not, not a nuclear scientist of any kind. Um, and uh, we've had um, other folks that just wrote on books that are like, or on movies that are really personal to them. Um, and... Um, Sleepaway Camp, we have BJ and Harmony Colangelo um, doing like the the queer reading on that. Um, and uh, yeah, just like to get like a really good like, we're, we're always trying to get authors to really like, get a movie you're really obsessed with and then just like chase your obsessions down that like rabbit hole as far as you can go um, is sort of the idea that we we want to encourage with every book. They're really good. <laughs> biased but whatever it's fine <laughs> the, the most recent one on the wolf man is so fucking heartbreaking and chat 
So, shameless plug for my website, Dread Central. Chad Collins did an incredible review of that that broke my heart. And if y'all want to really cry, read the Wolfman uh that just came out as part of the Die Die book series. It's incredible. Yeah, Rachel and I are both really proud of that book. and But because of the weird circumstances surrounding its publication, which I won't bury the lead for the listeners, the author, uh, the author killed himself shortly after delivering oh, his manuscript. Um, and so... And it was still, it wasn't quite final yet, but he and I had discussed it and we had a path for revision, but then he died. And then we had to kind of figure out how to get the book finished. And that involved like adding an afterword that discussed those circumstances. And it was all very emotional and difficult. Um, But then now that the book is out, it's been hard trying to get people to review it because you usually have the author usually helps with stuff like that also uh and uh and also there would be you know people i've reached out to who i know knew philip and would have been happy to support the book uh it's very emotional for them so it's harder it's trickier in that regard too so i was really grateful that chad wrote such a such a thoughtful um, it almost wasn't even a review. It almost was more like a personal essay. It ended I know. up being, and yeah. Um, yeah. So I was really happy with that because we've, for even though the book is great, we've had a hard time getting press for it because the people who would be inclined to write about it are people who are close with the author, and they then feel weird about it. So, um, yeah. So yeah. So that ended up being really, really helpful for us. So well, yeah. Everyone listening, it's a really fascinating look at. The Wolfman, and also, but like specifically, Lon Chaney Jr.'s relationship to the character, and it's a very harrowing look, a kind of at like his relationship to his father. And so, if you're interested in that, a different kind of look at the Wolfman, I think we'll put the pl- we'll put put the link in the in the description of the podcast so y'all can check it out. But yeah, it's also a funny book too. Philip was a very funny writer, and yeah. so you know, it's it, it's not all dour. Like there's this yeah. part in it where he just has a, almost a chapter long just like mystery science theater esque takedown of this terrible movie called Man Made Monster that Lon Chaney Jr. and the director of the Wolfman George Wagner did before the Wolfman. And the the movie is dog shit, and Philip just spends probably five thousand words just taking down this movie, like scene by scene, and it's great. You know, it's a, it's also a very funny book. So well, and I mean, it's such a cool idea. Have you guys seen success so far with this model of doing one movie per book? Has like has that been going since you're relatively new? Press for them, like relatively speaking. It depends on one's definition of success. <laughs> But, you're continuing uh, to do what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, Gosh. we're 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 not making money hand over fist, uh, but we are proud of the books that we've put out so far. We've got more books that were are on the in the in the pipeline. Um, we already know what our next three book releases are going to be that haven't been announced yet. So we have no plans of stopping soon. Um, and also by design. Each book is supposed to be advertisement for the entire series because they, you know, they're designed to be collectible. Like we put a lot of care into the art direction of the series so that the books especially will be appealing 
to collectors who want the entire series on their bookshelf. And we do have people like that. And I think that each new book is going to get us more people like that. And uh, so, yeah, we haven't we haven't really hit the the tipping point yet where it's suddenly this like runaway success. But I think it's kind of designed to build a cult following. And I think we're we're on our way to that. So, hell yeah. That's so cool. Um, but before we jump into your Scarred for Life picks, I am curious about how each of you got introduced to the horror genre. And Rachel, I'll start with you. Like, how did you get introduced to horror? Has it been a thing your whole life? Like, when does that enter your life story? I had such a, such an interestingly ambivalent, I had such a weird relationship with horror when I was a kid. Um, and it's very, it's very in line with my character's personality in our movie where I, okay, the way I can best describe it is when I was a kid, there was this, um, this scary ride at Six Flags in St. Louis. It was like you would go on a boat ride and scary stuff would be, there'd be like a witch and like other little like scary noises and like little animatronics coming out to spook you. Um, and I would beg my parents to take me on it at Six Flags, like over and over, multiple times while we were there, every single time we went. And when I would get into the tunnel, I would just put my hands over my eyes and just scream the entire time. <laughs> like, didn't, didn't see any of it, didn't hear hardly any of it. We would get out and I'd be like, I have to go again because I didn't see or hear anything. And my parents are like, that is your own stupid fault, you idiot. <laughs> like, you're not, we're not just going to keep taking you. I, I don't think I actually ever, maybe once I finally did it, it may have actually broken the spell. And I was like, oh, it's, it's not that. That's it's not that scary, but the positive is gonna be so scary. So I was I was so scared of everything. I actually slept with the lights on until I was like sixteen years old, maybe eighteen years old. I really like an embarrassingly long amount of time. I don't think it was like that. I was scared of the dark by the time I was in high school. But Rachel I was just like, still sleeps with the lights on. <laughs> I have a nightlight. Here's the tea. So that's not, not all the Yeah, lights. Rachel stopped sl- sleeping with the lights on because I, I insisted that we, I was like, I cannot sleep with this much light. Now, she didn't sleep with all the lights on. I think when she was a kid, she slept with literally every light on. Yeah, yeah every light. So, all the lights I, the same thing. I, I the could same put thing. on. Yeah, I, just all of them. But yeah, I was scared of like everything and I would, there were some Halloweens where, but my dad, my dad really encouraged us to like loves horror movies and was like, um, showing us like Terminator and Alien when we were like five and six, my, me and my brother. Um, and on the other hand, my mom is just terrified of horror movies and my dad would be like showing us this stuff. Then my mom would be like, me and my, me and Rachel, we don't like horror movies. So you're gonna not be a scary thing for Halloween, right? And I'd be like, I guess not. But so I kind of like vacillated for quite some time um, as a child between being really into them. I watched a Tales from the Crypt episode once when I was a kid that I didn't watch anything else scary for like three years. Um, that one scared me. Which episode? It, do you do you uh, remember? The one where the guy has it's a, he's a ventriloquist and he has a conjoined twin on his hand. 
Um, okay. That one, I don't know why. There's nothing. Honestly, it's not. It's not even a very good episode. But uh, <laughs> yeah, really upset me for some reason. Um, but yeah, so I had a really ambivalent relationship um, with it when I was um, a child, and then as an adult, came to like reached a sort of tipping point where I was like, okay, now this is my whole thing. Like, but yeah, I don't know. Was there a movie that like tipped you over into horror? Was there like an experience? Oh, into just this is my thing now. No, it was it was an experience. Um, I I have bipolar disorder, and I had sort of like that. I I was like undiagnosed for like a long time. Um, when I was in um grad school, like uh, this is the most millennial thing anyone will ever say. The first time I was in grad school. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the first time I was in grad school, I had to drop out um, basically because I was having what I didn't realize then was like a mixed um, bipolar episode. And after that, the year after that, Nick and I just spent the entire year watching like two and three horror movies a day. It was just like comforting. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. Fuck yeah. Um, Fuck and then yeah. That was, yeah. And then that was just just the thing um christian and i also christian from the movie we also spent a good portion of my senior year in high school just um watching a lot of we would like fall asleep watching nightmare on elm street a lot oh um, i love that yeah That's <laughs> it was, cute. It was cute. <laughs> yeah we'd have wow. sleepovers and we'd watch that and we'd also watch the land before time which is not uh, I love range. That movie is I love traumatizing, though. It is. It's, true. it's very it's true. sad. Yeah. It's, I've, yeah, definitely. And then, Nick, what about you? How did you get introduced to the horror genre? Yeah, the, I've been actually trying to remember and come up with some sort of narrative about it, but I am having a hard time. I didn't really watch horror as a kid, but I always liked the scary stuff in okay. movies which is we'll get into that with mickey's christmas carol um because that, yeah. that's kind of like a great example where and i think that it may have been because there well i grew up incredibly religious in an evangelical christian family and oh. so a lot of this stuff was verboten you know you just didn't <laughs> engage with this sort of like devilly uh, adjacent stuff yeah and but on the other hand like uh i was a boy in the midwest and like you want things to and also i wasn't really into sports but like you still pretend like you're into sports or like you are into sports but like you're not really um <laughs> but you still wear your cardinals hat and uh you know and, and it's, so it's like you also have your friends talking about, or, you know, Rachel talking about Terminator on the playground or whatever, and you want to be into that cool stuff too. And so you just kind of latch on to whatever uh, little scrap of that you can get. And I think a lot of that was like the horror-y type stuff in other things where you'd be like, oh, but you know what was the really cool part in Aladdin was when Jafar turned into the genie at the end and he's like this Best badass part. devil demon, you know, and yeah. like that that's what you latch on to. And um Hell yeah. you know, not the wussy stuff like the magic carpet rides, you know, that's for girls. But Jafar is a genie <laughs> with his big rippling muscles at the end. That's for boys. That's cool boy stuff. That's for um, the boys. <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> 
That's my yeah, kind of yeah. cool yeah. boy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that maybe that was sort of there. And um, yeah. And then along with Rachel, kind of the, well, in college, I started getting more into, I, I started getting into like more extreme horror stuff. Like I was really interested in uh, like, I, I really want, I had seen a documentary that talked about Last House on the Left, and I really wanted to see Last House on the Left. I don't think it was until like maybe my junior year I tracked down a copy of it, and I was just like, yes, this movie's amazing. And, you know, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre the first time when I was in college. And, uh, yeah, so I just started kind of getting into more, like really diving into the deep end with uh, just like the most extremes i was i was really into like i spit on your grave um and uh, and these were like you got the college edge lord boy face it's it's important to experience that yeah well i don't know if i ever outgrew the college edge lord boy face but um yeah so i I might still be i bet you did just mentally like mentally (laughs) i bet you did at least well (laughs) and that's the thing too is that i i don't think i was ever mentally exactly like I don't think the appeal, it was always like, I was always trying to find ways to write papers about it. Like I remember trying to being in a Chaucer class and wanting to write a paper that was about like, I forget which, which story from the Canterbury Tales. I was like, this story has parallels with Last House on the Left. And I want to write a paper about how this story about somebody going into the woods and having bad things happen to them. How like, this is a a literary trope that continued in through to last house on the left. And so it was, it was always like still sort of, I mean, the, the seeds of die, die books really were planted there where it was just like, how can I both be an edge Lord and pretentious? (laughs) Hell yeah. That's my favorite kind of, that's why I love academia. (laughs) (laughs) Or pop academia, so I don't have to get my go back to grad school because I I already <laughs> made that mistake. Um, <laughs> but before we jump into your pick, I, I am curious for both of you. Do you remember the last movie that really scared you? Um, like most recently? Yeah, yeah, probably Skinnamarink, and we actually have a shorthand for it around here. Um, where it's like we're like, what is the like, what's the elevator pitch for Skinnamarink? And it's like, like, what's the monster, or whatever? And the it's essentially like, I'm in a scary place and I feel bad. Is <laughs> how I would describe. Like, what's scary about that movie? There's, Perfect. No, you're in a scary place and you feel bad. And so I just now that I sleep with the lights off, <laughs> mostly, mostly. I'll still I have nightmares all the time like I have, I have very frequent nightmares and I'll like wake up screaming when I have nightmares it's very it's very oh my um, God. I'm sure not pleasant to sleep in a room with me um but um I'll have these like so it's upsetting oh and I sleep when I wake up <laughs> from dream I, this is so I, I have so much messed up so okay so when I falling asleep um I fall asleep really slowly. There's this thing called hypnagogic hallucinations where you're like half asleep and half awake and you're Mm -hmm. just sort of like hallucinating stuff. So I'll be like half asleep and think that there's just like 
I'll like be like, la, 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 and Nick's like, what? And I'll be like, I thought I saw a squiggly thing above the bed. Okay, <laughs> well, like, I suffer from this too, because ah! I have a lucid dream that happens all the time, depending on if I'm sleeping on my back or on my side. Of I'm a ra- I have severe arachnophobia, and I will go to sleep, and I will either see like a giant spider that like is on my nightstand that hides behind something. If I'm laying on my side and I will wake up and I'll be like, where the fuck is the spider? I can't go back to bed. Or like I'll be laying there and I will if I'm on my back, I will literally see spiders coming down off the ceiling, like on webs over my bed. And I will freak the fuck out. So I end up exactly what you're talking about. I'd never had a term for it before, but I know exactly what you're talking I'm about. Read up on it because I was so glad when I got a term for it because I was just like, boy, I guess I'm crazier than I thought. <laughs> met a person who has the same thing that's so ah, great great well but now and rachel has like a, falling asleep rachel but, has oh, a new term for it which a new is term for a skinamarink i'm she having says, a skinamarink i'm having a skinamarink <laughs> beautiful beautiful that's fucking terrifying and that really does convey the hell that you are experiencing in your dreams because i have a lot of nightmares too and that is a very good way to describe it so now i am going to i'm i'm gonna take your term and, and continue using yes. it and saying i'm having is i had a skin ink last night everyone should it's such a good applicable term you wake up in the it middle really of the is. night and it completely describes it yeah it completely <laughs> describes it <laughs> wow and, and what about you, Nick? What was the last movie that you saw that that absolutely terrified you? Was it the same movie? No, I uh, unfortunately I I don't like getting asked this type of question because I'm one of those dorks who's like, well, I don't really get scared watching movies. Which, being a horror movie person, is like you don't want to be that guy. But I am thinking about like I'm thinking about filmmaking and stuff when I'm watching the movies, so I don't really get scared watching them but i will say i'll i'll do a kind of like sideways plug here for uh when i was a kid the things that would always really unsettle me were the ones that were about like hell or the devil like i remember there was i actually i almost recommended one for this uh for this episode we're doing now which was this um, Yosemite Sam cartoon that I think is called Devil's Feud Cake. And it's just about Yosemite Sam dies while trying to get Bugs Bunny and he ends up in hell. And then he's talking to the devil and the devil's like, okay, you're all right. But what I really want is Bugs Bunny. So I'll let you go back to earth, but you have to get Bugs Bunny. And he keeps dying and going back to hell and being given like one more chance to go get Bugs Bunny. When I was a kid and I saw this just on a Saturday morning, it just scared the piss out of me, you know. Uh, And but it wasn't because it was scary. It's because it was like when you die, you could go to hell. Like, you know, that was the thing that was so scary for me. That's, and, that's fucking real, though. When you are yeah. a kid, I mean, I was I was raised Catholic, not even remotely similar to you, but, like, when you have that, like, fear of the devil looming over your head all the time, there is nothing scarier than being like, I'm going to get possessed, I'm going to go to hell, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. Like, it is yeah. a, no fucking joke. Yeah, no, and I, I will still, as an adult, sometimes see things that will trigger that same like it's just like an echo of it but i recognize like the anxiety of that same that same feeling of of that and what i was going to mention uh 
as a present day thing that I'm currently semi obsessed with is um, Rachel got me for Christmas a a ginormous book and uh, this Blu-ray box set of uh, this these this filmmaking team called they were called the Ormond Organization and they were based in Nashville and they did exploitation films but then they it was a husband and wife and their son uh, and they got in a plane crash at one point in the middle of their career and they survived it and they decided they were they had like a conversion moment and they decided they were going to dedicate the rest of their career not to making you know sexy shoot 'em up type uh exploitation movies but they were going to instead apply their exploitation filmmaking skills for the lord and they started teaming up with evangelical or southern baptist ministers and making christian movies and we when rachel and i were at the abattoir film fest uh last fall we saw one of these movies which is they teamed up with this this Southern Baptist preacher named Estes Perkle and made this movie called If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do? And it's all about, like, this one's not about hell. The next one, The Burning Hell, is about hell. But I really love If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do? Which is all about the communists, the, in, the communist invasion that's bound to come in America. It was made in, like, 1971. And it's just this Mississippi preacher going on about how within two years... The communist takeover of America is bound to happen unless if a Christian revival breaks out and everybody turns away from their sin. And the whole thing is just this an hour of rapid fire scare tactics about what communists are going to do to to Christians in America whenever they take over in two within two years. So, um, wow. Yeah. (laughs) And then the next one is all about hell, the burning hell. And then they made one about heaven and it was a complete flop because nobody wants to watch an exploitation movie. That's not based on scaring you into turning from your skin, your sin. But but yeah, so I'm currently obsessed with these, uh, these Ormond movies and uh, it has no small part to do with that childhood, uh, you know, fear of, hell so whoa wow holy shit okay well i'm gonna go on a deep dive (laughs) later about this because that sounds cool as hell yeah the giant book about them that got published last year it's called the exotic ones and it's a very good book but it is incredibly impractical it's made to look like an old family bible like it has a gilded edge and it's huge i had to i had to sit in bed to read it like i had to I couldn't read. You can't carry it anywhere. It's like literally like, yeah, like it's like a 10 pound book. Um, So it's completely impractical. Nobody should have it. Rachel got it for me for Christmas, (laughs) um, which was a great gift. And but yeah, huge pain in the ass to read. Hell yeah. Sick. Um, So on that note, uh, Nick and Rachel, what... um, what piece of media have you brought with you today for us to discuss? Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> Mickey's Christmas Carol. Hell yeah! I guess, guess y'all were really expecting that one. So in this in this in this twenty six minute animated special, classic Disney animated characters play the role play the roles in this retelling of the Charles Dickens Dickens masterpiece, starring uh, Scrooge McDuck as Ebenezer Scrooge. Ugh. This. Uh... This brought me back to my childhood. So I, 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 
I just I have to know what about this is is your scarred for life pick? Whose pick is it? Is it both of yours? Give us give us your horror story. I want to hear everything about about your reaction to this when you first saw it. Uh, well, so I I brought it up um, as an option, and it was a little bit dovetailing on Nick's uh, mention of the the U seventy seven. Uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon um, but I was like obsessed with this movie as a child obviously the moment that's so scary um, is when Ebenezer Scrooge is like spirit whose lonely grave is this and then he says why yours Ebenezer the richest man in the cemetery and like Nick and I have been saying that around the house like yours, <laughs> Ebenezer the richest man in the cemetery! He's much better at it than I am, but it was like, it's so, <laughs> yeah, Scrooge, it's just, it's, on the one hand, like, just a delightful, charming, like, children's retelling. It's got so much heart, and it's like, weirdly, it really gives, like, there's a dignity to this that does not non-existent many mickey mouse like goofy has such pathos we were talking <laughs> we were talking the other day goofies but plays uh jacob marley and jacob you really marley. like feel for you're like oh man it's sad that like goofy's in hell now like but like he's gotta carry these chains around he's still like kind of tripping over them but you're like no i buy it but yeah ebenezer scrooge scrooge mcduck visited by three spirits um the second one, okay, the transition between the second spirit and the third spirit, so Ghost of Christmas Present to Ghost of Christmas Future, is so fast. It's just like you, a blink, and suddenly everything's dark and spooky. No, and it's like, better than a blink. It's a puff of smoke is <gasps> what happens. He, he, he just what? gets... Scrooge is there outside of a window, and then just this smoke billows around him, and suddenly you're just in this, like... Ingmar Bergman nightmare world. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. a great way to describe it. Yeah, and he's been watching Tiny Tim through the window, and he's like, ah, I didn't know that my that my employee who I've been horribly undercharging or <laughs> underpaying for years and years has an adorable disabled son who's, like, low-key starving to death. Like, suddenly it's like, and now I'm looking at Tiny Tim's grave because he's gonna die, and... Um, and then there's these weasels, these mean weasels just laughing and digging Ebenezer Scrooge's grave. And um, and the, the ghost of Christmas future has no face at first, um, which was so creepy, um, and just points him over to the grave. Ebenezer sees it. He says the amazing line, um, why yours, Ebenezer? Um, and then pushes him into the grave and he's falling into hell and like grabbing on and like i can change i can change you can see the like fires of hell coming up fires of under. hell yeah and it goes on like for a while like before he comes back into his like safe and sound in his bed on christmas morning um and it just it's a lot darker than you would expect <laughs> from mickey's christmas carol i was so obsessed with it um, I would rent, like the, the scary boat ride, I would rent it, I would make my parents rent it all the time, July, like, February, they'd be like, it's not Christmas, and I'd be like, well, you told me I could pick one, so this is my pick, and I'd watch it, and I'd get, like, close to the end, and I'd be like, here comes the scary part, <laughs> like, 
Hooray, hooray. But I picked it too because I knew Nick, I pro- I propositioned Nick on it because I knew he would, it would resonate with him from all of his fears of hell as a child. Well, and also, Rachel knows this, but you all don't know this. I have a deep love for Christmas specials of all sorts. And similar to how Rachel would watch Mickey's Christmas Carol year round as a kid. For me as an adult, I would, I used to, when I was in college, I remember I had, I used to have to apologize to my roommate because I had gotten like, they just put like the Rankin Bass Christmas specials out on DVD. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just need to warn you. I'm going to be watching these constantly. And so if you ever just come in the room, (laughs) like most college roommates, like you worry about walking in on your roommate masturbating. But in our room, it was like, no, you might walk in on me watching, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July and like March. (laughs) Oh, my God. Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey, just at any point in time, you might walk in and I'm I'm in the middle of it. So, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Amazing. I love that so much. So I definitely, I had never seen this before. Um, oh. I had never seen this before. And yeah. I will say, I did think at first the weasels, because I looked away for a second, and I thought the weasels were, steal- were grave robbing Tiny Tim's grave. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is... D- what the fuck with these weasels and like i was like weasels steal and i was like oh wait no 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 that's not what's happening but i was not i was like i've i have seen disney did plenty of disney movies as we've talked about on this podcast go to dark places like that so i was prepared but that was not the case but yes i just had to share not grave robbing i love that this was the pick because i have not i have I, the joy of this podcast sometimes is revisiting things that I have not seen since I was a kid. And this short film was ubiquitous for my childhood. I don't know when I first saw it. I And I don't remember how I first saw it. My recollection is that we had a, a VHS tape of a bunch of shorter Disney things. I remember uh. this. I remember the um, Sleepy Hollow one. I remember there's like... There's like a, a Halloween episode of like with like ghosts and stuff. And, and I, I have a recollection of like ducks moving around a cauldron. And I remember remember that and I remember this and I remember watching them almost back to back. So I don't know if like my I was trying to Google this. I was like, was was this like on a because it was a it was released on VHS, but it's only 30 minutes. I was like, was this released on like some collection? I really couldn't find anything on it. I don't know if my if my dad had just, you know, taped it off a of television. And so I just had like this really long movie set of, of various you know, that Disney was my shorts. situation uh, was it was okay. a taped off of TV on a on a tape with like five other things. So and see, that's yeah. what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if it's the same for me, because I literally was like, was this released in a package? I looked up the release history of it and it had a VHS. And I do remember seeing the VHS tape that was just this movie or the short film, but I, but I couldn't find anything else. Or I'm guessing that my dad just had recorded either off of, you know, a couple different Disney things that we had rented over time or off of television. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I would remember sitting down and just, it would be short film, short film, short film, short film. And it would just be all of these kind of spooky ones. Cause I mean, this is, even though it's, you know, Christmas set, it is very spooky. And it like, 
as a as a kid that loves spookiness, I and this was just constant repeat for me. I just remember watching it all the time to the point that I have not seen this probably. I'm I'm 43 now and I can't have seen it for at least 35 years. Like I'm thinking I was probably 6 or 7 maybe when I saw it. And I could anticipate what was happening before it happened. And it just brought back so many memories of watching this as a kid, like just little details, the the coal where he's like, he wants to, he, Mickey wants to um, heat up the, the, the ink and he, he used one last week. And it's like a single coal that is left in this bucket. I remember that. Or Scrooge is like tapping the sign constantly because Marley is crossed off and his name keeps getting snow on it. So people can't see that it's Scrooge. Like the ego is, the, the narcissism in that. That is so funny to me now as an adult, but as a kid, I just remember him hitting that sign and, and knocking all that snow down. It just it it's 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 so wild to me that I remembered every single thing about this short film that I have not thought of in probably thirty five years. Well, and that's the thing that's so amazing about it is that it it actually is a remarkable little work of cinema. Like it's yeah, it has it's really the colors in it are really great and like better than there's this sort just this sort of rich beauty to the whole piece that it's like, Oh, somebody really cared. The music in it is really good. And, you know, I think all of those things, like it has those little beats, like you're mentioning Terry, that it's just those things that stick with you. And, you know, that's the sign that somebody actually gave a shit. As opposed yeah. to, you know, they weren't phoning it in on this. Well, and no, it two, looks expensive. Oops, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. Uh, well, Nick and I also, in preparation for this, we listened to, they did um, like 10 years before this was released. They did an audio like recording and put out a little a little LP of um, like, it's it's got like songs in it and it's way more levity like um that this version of it uh weirdly the witch from snow white plays the ghost of christmas future which has its own like creepiness to it yeah it's basically the same it's like it's really interesting you can find it on youtube and listen to the whole thing if anybody's perverse enough to want to do that other than us but um but yeah like it's it was, I think, 1974, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That So, like, way before they would have been thinking, let's do a, the movie of this. Like, I think Disney was just putting out, like, albums that were, like, retellings of classic stories, but with oh, Disney characters. And okay. and I think this was one of them in that series. And, and then they basically took... It's basically the, the exact same thing but with like some cast swaps and some and more bad ideas uh <laughs> yeah. like like the the movie version did just like stripped out everything that wasn't working or revised it to make it better like Rachel pointed out that the the goofy character um I'll let you talk about it because oh my god okay goofy <sighs> so many things to say about goofy and <laughs> Okay, Goofy, you know him as just like, oh, he's just the silliest of all the characters. You can't, can't possibly, like, you, you empathize with Goofy, but he's ridiculous. Like, come on, like, um, he's just a silly guy and just the, the clown of the show. 
Um, Goofy in the 1974 album that's just a bad rough draft of Mickey's Christmas Carol is just like, like, hey, Ebenezer, like, and he's like, why are you wearing these chains? And he's like, oh, they must just be in fashion this year. Like, the whole just constantly yucking it up, not with the solemnity of a person who's been in hell dragging chains around. But they somehow manage in Mickey's Christmas Carol to walk the line of like, Goofy is Goofy, but he's Goofy that has been worn down. Like he has had a rough way about Yes! Oh my God. I was so surprised. I was like, because when I started seeing that, like all of the beloved Disney characters were having cameos as other characters, which I, I ranted about this to, to Terry before we were talking. And I was like, this is, this is why I have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because Disney just <laughs> fucked around for so many years with these Disney characters and these animated characters and just put them in fucking everything. And now they think they can do that with anything. And it's not how it works. Um so that was just like my dumb little high horse I got on about like all of the hilarious cameos. But um, where was I going with this? Goofy. Like, Goofy crushes it. Yes, Goofy. And so, <laughs> but like, what, so, so I saw Goofy, I'm like, oh, he's going to be just like his kind of dumb self. But I loved how they made him a worn down version of Goofy, who very much understands the consequences of his fucked up actions. Even though he's a little, he's still the slapstick. He is a very solemn Goofy, which was very shocking. I was a little bit scared by that. I was like, yes, I don't like solemn Goofy. This instills fear in my heart. (laughs) It's alarming because you're a sosie. You're watching sad Goofy and you're thinking, but Goofy's supposed to be happy. And you're just like, oh, this is what, this is what hell will do to you, kid. Like, boy. uh, (laughs) Yeah, no shit. It's really something. Oh my God. I, I think that this is like why this works so well as like something that is terrifying because these are all characters that, I mean, I grew up on. Mickey, you know, grew up on him. Goofy grew up on him when i was watching this i probably was about the same time as when ducktales started so i had like ducktales with scrooge mcduck like these are all characters that and my dad one thing i remember is my dad had this collected book of um scrooge mcduck cartoons like it was just this big like almost coffee table like book that had all these these comics and i would read them i love scrooge mcduck i loved all these characters and to see them put through so much trauma in 30 minutes is quite upsetting goofy's the idea of like as you guys have been talking the the fact that he is this lovable kind of scamp gorsh you know he's always tripping over things he's always like he's his limbs are so long he just is ungainly and here he is dragging these chains that he says you know that he's doomed to carry him for for a ter- through eternity and then he's he he has like a little bit of a joke to it maybe even longer but even that is tinged with something that is even horror more horrifying the the a cosmic of time that goes past eternity what and so you see that or you see mickey who's like crying at the grave of his son like it's like it's these characters that you have such childhood attachment to are going through pain and it's upsetting <laughs> yeah it's so, so upsetting, upsetting. And well, the other thing that's crazy about it that I was thinking about watching, like rewatching it before we did this podcast is that like, okay, so this is a children's movie where your Scrooge McDuck as Ebenezer Scrooge is just a terrible person, just like, you know, bordering on sociopathic by the end of, you know, his life, his terrible life that he's ruined. 
um, and then spent ruining everyone else's life. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> you're empathizing. Like, that's the character you're rooted to. Like, that's so yeah. weird for a children's movie to be like, but it, it it's like, it functions. Like, they can get away with it because he's still a Disney character. But you're so rarely, like, Ebenezer Scrooge is so much worse than Scrooge McDuck and also so similar and you're just empathizing with him the whole time. And by the end of the movie, you're like, oh, no, I was empathizing with this character who's going to hell. Like, ah, um, <laughs> it's it could be me. The other thing know. that's strange about that that I actually just realized uh, is that usually when you're connected, like Scrooge isn't an anti-hero. Usually when you're connected to somebody who's a bad person, you're having a vicarious thrill of like, oh, well, what if I was a mobster or you know whatever it is like you know like if i was making like, blue meth yeah exactly yeah yeah uh and you know you're kind of like getting off on that vicarious thrill of like oh well he's a bad person but what a what a, a badass life that person has or whatever there's none of that in the story of scrooge like you're never supposed to be like oh wow it must be great to rob from the widows and swindle the poor you know that's not the enjoyment <laughs> on the same day <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i love but i love this because it's, it's short and it's for kids but i love the jump of him dancing with his 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 love and then jumping right to him like reclaiming the ha- like the honeymoon cottage that she's talking to him about like immediately yeah. jumps to him just being an absolute asshole and i know that it's obviously more complicated but just love a good complete 180 in attitude yeah 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 Yeah. it's all great (laughs) it is i i realized i did not watch as much disney as i thought i did as a kid i watched like the disney princesses but i think i i i'm remembering that i think i found like mickey mouse and minnie mouse and all of them to be kind of irritating as a child (laughs) it might be it might be a, a, a slight generational difference because I think it. Is. I definitely think it is. I think I got a very different kind of Disney. Well, if you didn't have, other. if you didn't have random VHS tapes with just whatever happened to be on the Wonderful World of Disney for like that year, yeah. Uh, that then like you're you didn't get that same just sort of like random like oh here's short films from 1956 coupled with like short films from the 80s and stuff that just happened to all be on tv so what we had my stepdad was a big looney tunes person so i had that for all of the looney tunes and also ren and stimpy um (laughs) um that's a hilarious thing I should not have been watching as a five-year-old but yeah I did that with Looney Tunes my stepdad was super into Looney Tunes so I watched that a lot more as a kid than like older Disney stuff but which is why I don't think I I hadn't seen this but I did love a goofy movie I will say just on the record a goofy movie is I was I I was spinning conspiracy theories last night about how I I wonder if uh, I suspect that Disney's or the Mickey's Christmas Carol with the that that was like a testing ground where they said oh you can get into some genuine pathos with Goofy maybe we should consider doing more stuff with Goofy which may then I don't know if this is true but I could see that as having then led to Goof Troop and then that led to because I'm also huge fan of a Goofy movie huge fan it's great I'm with you I think 
So I also think that I loved a Goofy movie, and I think what really pissed me off was how everyone treated Goofy, because I thought that Goofy was a good dude, and I got really mad that everyone kind of treated him like an idiot, because he had a good heart. (laughs) I felt bad for Goofy as a child. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's one of the things that I could go on about a Goofy movie, but one of the things that really (laughs) I love about it is that, you know, like we were talking before, Goofy is just... He is goofy. Like, that just is what his character is, is that he is goofy. And so there's nothing wrong with Goofy being who he is. In fact, he seems very comfortable within his own skin. But when you're a teenage boy and Goofy's your dad, then suddenly all the things that make him goofy, like, all teenagers don't like that their parents are goofy. So it's so perfect. Like, it's just a perfect teenage movie (laughs) of just, like, Oh, yeah, your parents are goofy, and it's embarrassing. Like, his dad is literally goofy. It's just great. It's perfect. I love it. I love it. But speaking of goofy, my one of my favorite moments in this, watching this as an adult, is uh, the stare moment when, when Scrooge is going up the stairs and, the, and Goofy is a ghost oh, on the wall. Because so I was drawing in my head a direct parallel to from this to Bram Stoker's Dracula to Dracula Den loving yes. it because it's it's very similar, particularly with Dracula Den loving it with the with the like the the hilariousness of the shadow being an idiot feels feels very much like Goofy, but. I will die on this hill that there is a direct correlation between what Francis Ford Coppola saw (laughs) and this movie. Everything starts with a Mickey's Christmas Carol from 1983. (laughs) A goofy movie, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. It all starts here. I like it. (laughs) I I have to to say, though, that I've not rewatched this entire movie, but I did rewatch the hell portion of it. But uh, because I wanted to see if... uh, if it was how close it was to Mickey's Christmas Carol, but there's a movie from the seventies, another Christmas Carol adaptation that's called Scrooge. And it definitely influenced Mickey's Christmas Carol for the climactic you're going into hell moment. But in the movie Scrooge, it actually follows Scrooge into hell. And there's this whole sequence in hell. And it's like, it's really brightly colored. Like, it's, like, psychedelically colored red. And and Jacob Marley is, like, really spiteful against Scrooge. And he says, oh, well, you know, you're going to have an even bigger chain than my chain. And then he's like, bring in the chain, boys. And then it's, like, the this line of, like, leather daddies. Like... <laughs> Like muscular yeah. man with no shirts on, but like leather masks and leather pants, carrying this giant chain, come walking in and they they bundle Scrooge up. So it suddenly turns into this like sort of BDSM <laughs> fantasy thing. Like it's very bizarre. But um, oh my god, I'm would, looking at the. There's a picture yeah. on IMDb. I'm gonna put it in chat. There's a picture please, on IMDb please. of this. Is this the Albert Finney Scrooge? Yes, this is amazing. This oh is absolutely god. amazing. Oh. Sign me up. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some shadow play on a staircase in this movie because uh, this movie was definitely an influence on Mickey's Christmas Carol. I just don't know whether there is. So before we go saying Mickey's Christmas Carol did it first, you should at least check this one out. Oh my God, this is so funny. I am. Yeah, just watch on YouTube the hell part, if nothing else, because and it's it's really the lead up into hell is very very similar too. It's like the death looking ghost of Christmas future who's not talking and 
he's sort of scared I've actually seen down this. into it. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it in middle school, I think, but I haven't seen it since then. Very formative I'm looking at, at some of the screenshots, and these images are, there's like one of, I think it's one of the ghosts, uh, and he has like a wreath on his head and a beard. Like, this is this is bringing back a lot of memories of childhood, so I probably have actually seen this movie. Wild. It's supposed to be Wild. pretty good. I mean, it has muscle daddies with chains. I'm in. <laughs> Look, why not? Sign me up. Wow. Um, oh, and Scrooge is given the only cold room in hell. Um, they yeah. make his his office, his room in hell is a replica of his office, but it's super cold because he would never give Bob Cratchit that coal. So. See, this sounds like heaven to me. We have, we have leather daddies <laughs> with chains. We have a very cold room because I am always very warm. So I want it to be iceberg cold. Like this does not sound horrible to me. Yeah. Well, you're getting <laughs> Charles Dickens put a message in there and it's up to you to interpret whether <laughs> it's a good message or a bad message. So yeah. Wow. Hell yeah. Um, well, do we want to wrap up and give this our rating out of five? That sounds good to me. Hell wow. yeah. Um, well, now that I know, Terry, that your version of hell is, well, your version <laughs> of heaven is Ebenezer Scrooge's <laughs> version of hell slash Charles Dickinson's version of hell. So that's incredible. Um, love that. And so on that note, Terry, how many weird Disney cameos out of five do you give? Mickey's Christmas Carol. All of them. This this is a fantastic. This is a five out of five. Fizzy wig and weasels and ratty and moly. Like this is perfect. This is my childhood to a T. And it just brought back so many different moments that like I just I was sitting here going, okay, the giant, he's going to open up this roof and a woman is going to scream. Okay, he's going to jump down on the ground. And when he opens up the the curtain, it's going to be this giant eye looking like I I knew it just back to back to back. And it brought me back. It brought me so much nostalgic joy watching this. But as an adult, it's very effective for what it's doing in 30 minutes. It gives us a complete story. It gives us a trajectory. It gives us some horrific moments. And it it. T- takes out all the the parts that are kind of unnecessary like we get we understand the jump between um the hit scrooge at the dancing with his girlfriend or love interest to ejecting her from her home like we get we get that without needing to have other scenes and it just it's very economical in the way it's telling the story but it works and so this is a a five disney cameos out of five for me what about you mary beth so i'm gonna give it a four I don't have the same nostalgia factor, I think, as everyone else does. And I also think A Christmas Carol is boring. But... That's but, why it's good at 30 minutes. That's... Exactly. I was going to say. <laughs> it cuts out all the... trims all the fat. It's it, it definitely operates on, one, we know this is for children, and we have a short time span. But also very smart in how it takes, like, the essence of what makes it so... That's just a scary story, even for kids, and makes it pretty a very effective look at a christmas carol and again the goofies part the goofy part is my favorite i think they did such a good job with that and that alone is why this is such a good for me so good but then rachel and nick uh you have the final word how many weird disney cameos out of five do you give mickey's christmas carol five for me of Hell yeah. all time yeah <laughs> all timer i am a I'm tempted to give it a 4.5 because watching it this time, I did find myself thinking 
while I appreciate the brevity, you know, the conciseness of the storytelling, I was like, it is a bit, you know, there are some places where maybe the story could be spread out a little more, get a little more detail in there. But since the scale on which we're rating is Disney cameos, I have to give it a five because I'm also including the fact that on the 1974 LP, some of the characters are different. The Jiminy Cricket doesn't play the ghost of Christmas past in the, on the LP uh okay. it's uh merlin from oh. sword in the stone plays the ghost of christmas past huh. and the ghost of christmas future isn't played by pete uh i don't know if what his character is named other than pete that's who he is in, in a goofy movie but um it's not played by pete it's played by the witch from snow white and the seven dwarfs um interesting and, yeah and every time Scrooge asks a question, she goes, <laughs> and that's it. So instead of being silent, you just hear this witch cackle. So there's even oh. more cameos. If you if you go with both versions, there's even more uh, uh, obscure uh, or more multifaceted uh, <laughs> uh, Disney character cameos on it. Wild. <gasps> Wild. Oh, well, thank you both so much for joining us and, and allowing me to revisit this this childhood obsession I had. So where can the listeners find you? Are you are you on social media? And the floor is yours to plug away with what you guys are able to talk about. We're not on, we're not on social media. We're not on social media at all. I'm so sorry. It's not. I, yeah, you can't. You'll never stream our movie online and you can't find us on social media. So good luck tracking us down. You can find us at diediebooks.com. And we also have a mailing list that you can sign up for, and you should sign up for it. And you should buy a copy of Poltergeist by Jacob Trussell, Threads by Bob Milkey, The Wolfman by Philip J. Reed, and upcoming Sleepaway Camp and The Love Witch books. And keep an eye out for our next at least three releases that we'll be announcing hopefully by well before the end of the year. And uh, yeah, you can also joining our mailing list here about upcoming screenings of It Doesn't Get Any Better Than This. And you can get updates on our new horror feature, Homebody, that we are shooting this summer. And all kinds of other good stuff. Actually, that's pretty much all the good stuff. We're that's not awesome. going to bog you down with just nonsense (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah well listeners you've heard from us we want to hear from you what was your experience with mickey's christmas carol you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter uh or social media not just twitter i'm at mb mcandrews on twitter and i'm at mb.mcandrews on instagram and i'm a gaily dreadful everywhere and of course don't forget to follow the podcast on social media we are at scarred podcast on twitter and blue sky and at scarred for life podcast on instagram and please don't forget to review rate and subscribe and if you want to help support us we do have a patreon uh thank you Derek Carr, for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until until next time.